Good morning. Welcome to the the fourth Sunday of Lent, uh, this forty day season that kind of goes from Ash Wednesday all the way through all the way through Easter. And so this is an opportunity for us to to change some things, some change some patterns in our life. Many of you are fasting some things and and start making some sacrifices. Some of you are stepping into some uh, kind of new moments of kind of quiet, just just learning how to get quiet and contemplation and prayer and. And so whatever that looks like for you, we are excited that you have jumped in. Some of you are really, I've heard several of you say that we're just really leaning in this season and some significant things are happening and some of you are starting to feel the pinch of the sacrifice and just know Easter's coming, it won't last forever. And so um, some of you are up and down a little bit, you've kind of been on and then dropped off and it's kind of a little in and out, uh, encourage you if you're... If you've dropped off a little bit, just step back in. There's no, this is not about performance. It's not about doing per, everything perfectly. There's no judgment in this. Just step back into it. There's plenty of time uh, through Easter still to, to really uh, experience some things from God. And some of you, when we talk about Lent, you're going, what? What is a Lent? Um, this is really new to you. And if you're new to our fellowship here, just know that, that this is a season that, that uh, we just want to we want God to transform and change some things. We're kind of preparing ourselves for resurrection. Uh, we're kind of pruning some things back so that some new life might come. And you can still jump in and have a great experience all the way here uh, through Easter. So let's, let's pray together as we prepare this morning. Lord, we um, just recognize that oftentimes we are busy, that we aren't oftentimes paying attention. But this morning, we want to present ourselves to you. We want to submit our way to you. And maybe there's parts of us that have resisted you, parts of us that we've just closed off and kept a door tightly closed from you. But this morning, we step forward in trust, saying that we trust you, that you're good. We believe, but yet help us in our unbelief. And so as we are here, and as we are here with family and friends, Lord, we believe that, that you want to do good in us. And so speak to us, um, open our hearts. As we open our hearts, Lord, we, we want you to come in and do your work. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. The reality that we need to do this proactively every year speaks to the fact that in the normal rhythms of our life, we probably aren't doing this so well. We oftentimes slip back into kind of self-sufficiency, and we just kind of run our own thing. And so uh, oftentimes aren't paying attention to this. And so, you know, healthy people have good healthy habits in their life. And we all know that good habits only do anything if we do it over a long period of time. Uh, I don't know if any of you jumped into the, your local workout facility in January, and this was going to be a different year. And it lasted for about five days. And, well, you just made yourself sore. You know, the only thing that really makes a difference is in new beginnings in our life is if they last for a long period of time. But we all have habits or rhythms in our lives. And some of them are very good ones. There's things like you always kiss your spouse goodnight. Or you take a certain amount of your paycheck and you put it in savings every time you get paid. Those are good and positive ones. Some of us have some rhythms in our lives where they're not so healthy. They're not so good for us. They may be even destructive, and they lead to things that are unhelpful. Some of them aren't bad, 
but they just aren't really helping us. So some of you may have a habit of sleeping in until the last possible moment. You jump up, you throw your clothes on, and you head to class or you head to work. And you may be in a job where that's not a problem. It's the type of job where it's okay to come in in sweats or in your shorts and a t-shirt and your hair kind of sideways, and it's fine. Others of you, that is causing you a problem in your life. And your boss or whoever is saying you've got to get here earlier, you've got to dress more professionally. So it's just a difference of whether it is beneficial to you or not. Some of us have a, kind of an opposite problem. Brent and I, several years ago, read the book uh, by James Bryant Smith, The Good and Beautiful God. And the first spirit, it's a book on spiritual disciplines. And the first spiritual discipline was to discipline yourselves to sleep in one day a week. Now, some of you are like, I've got that one. In fact, I do it a number of days a week. But for us, we had gotten to a pace where we were getting up and we were going so much that we literally could not sleep in. So even on Saturdays when we had the day off, we'd wake up like, bing, what do we got to do now? And we were not getting enough sleep. And so we had to get ourselves to discipline ourselves to take a day a week and actually sleep as late as we could. And then we'd wake up at 5.30 and go, okay, we've got to go back to sleep. <laughs> Until we learned how to do it. It was a rhythm for us that we had to get into. 1 Corinthians 10.22 says, All things are lawful or permissible, but not all things are beneficial. So we're looking at what's beneficial in our lives. Watching a certain guilty pleasure TV show or playing a game on your phone it may be exactly what you need because you have so much going on in your life, you need some downtime. On the other hand, if you are at a space in your life, a season or whatever, where it's keeping you from doing something that you're supposed to be doing, homework, work, that kind of thing, then it's not a beneficial thing for you. It may be distracting you from the very thing that you're supposed to be doing. And then some of our habits are just plain destructive. They tear us down. They make us less human. They make us less of the person that God has created us to be and that God has called us to be. But whether they're good, bad, or neutral habits, they still form us. Our habits make us who we are. Our life is the sum total of our days, and our days are the totals of the habits that we have. There's an old adage that says practice makes perfect. Uh, it's not actually true. Uh, practice makes permanent. Only perfect practice makes perfect. Uh, uh, my dad taught me how to play golf when I was a kid and something I enjoyed to do with him. I'm from Indiana and been out here since I came to school over 40 years ago. And, and so uh, periodically I will go back and play with some of my relatives, uncles and cousins. And 40 years ago, several of them were absolutely horrible at golf. And they've played now for 40 years, and I go back periodically, and they are horrible because um, they've been practicing a bad swing. Uh, it's becoming permanent in their life. The only way that's ever going to change is if they proactively determine, I need some help with this, and I need to go a different way and a different path. And so Lent is this opportunity for us to practice a new swing. What's, what's a new way of living uh, in our life that would be more productive? and more life-giving in us. So our lectionary text for today is one of the most recognized sections of all Scripture. Uh, we call it the prodigal son. It's in Luke 15, since it is a gospel text. We're going to ask you to stand to your feet, if you would, in honor of the gospel here. 
And just listen to these words. We're just going to read about half of it um, this morning. And so... Then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare, but here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, you know the rest of the story. The father sees the son from a distance, and he actually runs after him. He throws a coat around him, puts a ring on his fingers, puts sandals on his feet, uh, kills the fatted calf, throws a party says, my son was lost, but now he's found. Now, to really fully understand what's going on here, we have to go back to the beginning of the chapter, um, Luke 15, verse 1. So, now, all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. The religious leaders of the day were just having a fit here. Uh, They were just freaking out over Jesus. He was hanging out with and throwing parties for people that, uh, just all all the wrong people. And so Jesus goes on and tells three parables here. The first two are real, are real short, and he goes into the prodigal son. All of them kind of have this general theme. Now, you'll hear, if you've been here very long, you know that we talk a lot about grace here. We um, believe that it's kind of the foundation of our faith, this unmerited favor, this sense that we can't earn this. And this section really oozes um, with grace. The father leaps off the porch and runs, runs after his son before he knew that his son was even repentant. He didn't know that his son had had a change of heart. He had not said anything. And, um, but but it, was, it was the father's response to love him. And Romans 2 talks about this idea that it is the, the goodness and kindness of God that draws men to repentance. And so it's the foundation of our faith, but it's for the purpose of repentance. I love it that the father started the celebration before the son even said anything. He just saw that he was coming home, and that was enough for him to celebrate. It's not what he said, it's that he came back. So yeah, we talk a lot about grace, but it's the grace, the love, the mercy, the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. And repentance is to change our mind, to turn away from our own path, and to follow God, and to follow his ways. We think of repentance as sorrow, and it is, but as importantly or more importantly, Repentance means changing. It's changing the way that we're going. The son was deeply convicted, and he was willing to do whatever he needed to do. He didn't even think he could possibly be treated as a son again, but he was willing to change and to go back to the father. It reads, he came to himself. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. 
there's a place in all of our lives where we have the opportunity and probably the need to come to the end of ourselves and to make some changes in our ways. So today we're going to talk about the rhythm or the habit of confession and repentance. Oftentimes when we think about confession and repentance, confession meaning I own this, I own my stuff, and repentance is I've changed my mind, and I'm going to turn a different way and go a different direction. Oftentimes when we think about that, we think about the first time we came to Christ, and we had to confess our sins, and we received him as Savior. It's a really, really important first step. But it's not just to be a one-time deal. It's to be something that consistently happens over and over and over again, we, over again in our life. Uh, we have a tendency to think that once I have that initial transaction done, once I've accepted Christ into my life and that is sealed, then I, I've got this now. I can handle it. Now, we may never literally, rationally, with a rational mind, say that, but that's how we act. It's like, I've got it. I can handle my life now. And we slip back into self-sufficiency, which is the seedbed for sin. It's where sin comes from, is this sense of self-sufficiency, that I can do this myself. I can get my own needs met my own way. Uh, this came from, it shouldn't surprise us, that we have this tendency. You hear the story of, of Adam and Eve. They were deceived into believing that they didn't need God. If you eat from the fruit of this tree, then you'll be like God, and you can handle things yourself. It's the, it's the foundation or the seed of of all of our um, misdirection in our life. So not only did Adam and Eve eat the fruit to become self-sufficient, they hid. They covered themselves, and they hid from God. Confession is about refusing to hide. It's about getting vulnerable and being open with your life. Repentance means to rethink, to change your mind. It's looking at your attitudes, your ideas, your actions, all the things in your life, and saying, God, how do you want me to deal with this in my life? And it may require changing your ways. Acts 3.19 says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshment may come from the Lord. So it's not a you miserable sinner, you better repent. It's God wants us to repent because that's where we find refreshment in him. That's where we learn to lead a good and healthy life. Now, this isn't exactly like the way that I did this as a kid. I remember being about 10. Now, part of this is my personality. I have a bit of obsessive-compulsive tendencies in me. Um, More than a bit. Thank you. I stopped short of saying it was a disorder, but it's, you know, (laughs) it's pretty close. Um, My poor children got this gene from me, and uh, it's tormented them in their life. But but I remember, and part of this was the faith training that I had as a kid, and, and I remember this importance of confessing my sins, and I remember having this thought that, that if I sinned and then didn't stop and confess for each and every one of those, and Jesus would, would come back before I had actually confessed my sin again, then I was in trouble. Um, so that's not what we're talking about here, out of, out of, out of fear. Uh, but this habit is actually, this habit of confession and repentance is opening ourselves up for new things. It's allowing our life to be pruned, to be cut back. Things that, that, that aren't productive to say no to and lean into things that are more productive in our life. This is, you know, this is very evident in springtime. I, I guess it's spring, huh? I mean, it kind of feels like it. I mean, it seems like it came way early. I keep waiting for a snow to cover the daffodils, but it's like, 
it's kind of spring. And so uh, as you look at these pl- the plants, if you'll notice if, if plants haven't been pruned properly, they're going to start growing weird. They'll, they'll, they'll overgrow in some areas, and they may even grow in a way that actually harms them. And so this idea is, is what are things that could be harming me? Uh, where are places that need to be uh, pruned back in my life? Now, in case you think that you are mature in your Christian walk to a place that you don't really need this, that, you know, this is for others, because we're really good at knowing what other people need to confess, aren't we? I mean, we can kind of go through the list of folks we know, and, and we're really good at that. But uh, in case we think that, you know, I'm a good person, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind and loving, and again, I break for animals, and, and so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm good, right, and I don't need this. Well, let's, let's look at one of the leaders of the church, Paul, Romans 7. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, what I hate, I do. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Relate to this? I do. I hope, I hope you do. Uh, the greatest place of strength I believe we can live in is being aware of our brokenness. Being aware that these, this is a place that I am broken in, and I need God. I need you to come into that place and put that place in order. I think that is absolutely the strongest place to live, but we fear that. Our greatest strength is being aware of our greatest weakness. Uh, if we can recognize those weak places, then again, we invite God into those places, and it's, it's an important place. Now, I, God knows that we struggle. He's not surprised at this. You know, he, he's the creator of all things. He's the, he knows the beginning and the end and everything in between. And he knows that we're limited. We sit here today, and if we look across um, the room here, you know, we can at best see about 100 to 150 feet. We don't even know what's going on in the lobby right now. We have no idea what's going to happen at 1 o'clock today. No wonder we freak out. Um, that we worry and that we stress and that we're anxious. He knows that. He knows that we have been designed to be dependent, submitted creatures, and that we freak out when we feel this place of, of being out of control. So this is a normal thing for us to struggle with and to own it and to recognize it is the healthiest place for us to live. If we know that confession and repentance is, is good for us, that it brings refreshing from the Lord, why do we fight it so much? Or why do we tend to avoid it? I'm assuming you guys avoid it. You don't really want to stand up and confess your sins to the people around you. I, I think it's because of control. We all have a need to control certain things in our lives. And it may be just our life. It may be our destiny. It may be our image. And I think for controlling our image, we all tend to have a little of what we call the imposter syndrome. The imposter syndrome is, if people really knew me, 
they would know that I have no idea what I'm doing. Or they would know that I really mess up in certain areas. And we see it in counseling. We see it in people, all different professions, people that are the top of their field. And they're like, I've I've just got to keep everything together because people might know that I don't really know what I'm doing or that I mess up in this particular area. All of us have that insecurity to some degree. And so we keep closed. We keep things hidden because we're afraid that if you know some of that stuff about me, you're going to reject me. And I don't want to experience that. When our kids were little and I would drive them to school, there was a car that was in front of us a lot of mornings. I never met the people, but they were in front of us. And they had a little tiny bumper sticker in the back window of their car. And it said, cleverly disguised as a responsible adult. (laughs) And I'm like, I need that. People think I'm a grown-up. I need that. That's true. (laughs) The great fig leaf dilemma, right? Um, Adam said in Genesis 3, I heard you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Now, as far as we know, he was naked before that, right? Um, (laughs) But his sin caused him to feel this sense of separation. Another thing that we try to do um, that keeps us from recognizing our sin is we want to control other people. We desperately need other people to treat us a certain way for us to be happy, we find ourselves doing all kinds of things. Now, sometimes we try to manipulate them through you know, anger or manipulation or guilt or fear, but sometimes we do it through praise. Sometimes we even use the Scripture to manipulate and change people so that they'll act right or act a certain way that, that we're going to be satisfied with. And so we find parents trying to control kids, kids trying to control parents, husbands trying to control wives, wives trying to control husbands. We see it on a global level. We have countries trying to control other countries to get them to act right so that, so that our, our needs will be met. And so it keeps us from a place of owning our stuff is because we desperately need to control others. And we try to control our pain, whether it's physical, emotional, or relational. We're afraid of pain. And so we use things like food, sex, work, and even Christian service sometimes to medicate our pain. It's anything we can use to keep my pain at bay, to keep me distracted so I don't have to deal with what's there. We may even use criticism and judgment to try to deflect our pain. Because after all, if I'm looking at everything you're doing wrong in your life, and I'm judging you, and I'm evaluating you, then I don't have time to think about my own stuff. In fact, I can't hear the conviction of the Holy Spirit if my mind is filled with everything everybody around me is doing wrong. So we use that to avoid pain in our lives and often avoid the very voice of God in our lives. But God will actually use pain in our life for our own good. He doesn't cause it, but the human experience um, has pain. And yet, yet we fight it, but it actually can be the greatest motivator for change in our life. It's what actually can turn us away from things that are harmful towards things that are good. We've all been fairly, are all fairly respectful of stovetops, I'm assuming you are. Uh, I've been too close to a couple of them in my life, and I didn't know that the burner was on or the pan was hot, and you know, you get too close to that, and, and it, you feel the heat and you pull back. God put these pain receptors in our hand to protect us. If we didn't have that, we would have burnt our hands off by now. We wouldn't even have hands to use. And so, so it's, it's for our good. And so uh, 
pain should say something to us. Physical pain in our body says something's wrong. We need to check this out. Emotional or relational pain says something's broken and we need to, to lean into a different way of, of living. And so we have to trust that in that pain that God can bring some important things to the surface. So, so what, are we, what are we doing here? What, what, what's the purpose of this? Uh, we are not trying to just get us all convinced that we're sinners and cause us to leave here depressed today. <laughs> the, point of us, the point of this is that, that uh, somehow uh, the, the lack of awareness, the lack of confession, the lack of committing to change uh, causes us to be less human in some ways. So Psalm 32, if you were at the beginning of the service today, this is the psalm in the lectionary today. It says, when I kept silent... My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and you did not cover up my iniquity. And did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Proverbs 28, he who conceals his sin does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. You know, we don't hesitate to tell people that we are fighting a cold. We'll say, oh, I got a cold. Please pray for me. Pray for my family. I don't want all of them to get it. We talk about, oh, there's these great new tissues that have lotion in them. Or have you tried essential oils? They really make a difference. Or there's this certain herb you can take that really makes a difference. And we talk about the common cold and how we fight the common cold. Because it's common. We're all susceptible to that. Sin is common to all man. We're all susceptible to sin. None of us is above it. So it's okay to acknowledge it and to confess that since it's something that all of us are going to deal with. But just because it's common doesn't mean we have to just accept it in our lives and go, well, I'm a sinner, so I guess I'm not going to change. Though I will say, when I do online shopping, Brent keeps the budget. And so when I do online shopping, I send him an email, and in the memo I put, I am a sinner. If it's not one thing, it's another, <laughs> dot, 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 dot. So, but I, at least I confess it, right? <laughs> she has seasons of deeper sin throughout the year That's than true. others. And so. I do have a granddaughter, I'm just saying. <laughs> um, but there's something good for us in the recognition and the confession of our sin. It's healthy for us to recognize sin and confess it. Hiding sin causes a separation between us and the people around us and us and our relationship with God. Uh, Frederick, Frederick Buechner says, to confess your sins to God is to not tell God anything he doesn't already know. Until you confess them, however, they are an abyss between you. When you confess them, they become the bridge. Remember, as you confess your sins, God's heart towards you is the prodigal father's heart. He is not looking at you when you come to him and say, I'm struggling with this. He's not going, oh, you have wasted your life. You are such a mess. Well, it's about time you came to deal with this. He's the father of the prodigal, and he says, welcome home, son. No need for explanation. You are welcome here. I love you. There is always a place for you here. Now, different personalities deal with I'm sorry differently. 
um, or confession. Um, to, we noticed this in two of our kids, uh, our oldest, um, when he was four or five. Sometimes he'd be playing in a neighbor's, a neighbor's house or yard, and he oftentimes, oftentimes would come to us and go, Daddy, I need to tell you I did something wrong. Now, we would have never known this, um, but he just had this thing in him that he just had to get it out. He had to confess it. Um, we would look at each other, and we were like, wow, we are like incredible parents. I mean, this is amazing that our children just come to us and confess. And then our next child came along, and she would be like in the kitchen cabinet in like messing with stuff she shouldn't be messing with. And she would like be covered from head to toe like with flour or something. And we would see her at the bottom of the stairs and we'd go, what, what have you done? What did you get into? Nothing. <laughs> now the evidence was like c complete, okay? But she just didn't ever want to admit to do anything wrong. So some of you have a really hard time at saying I'm sorry. You, it just ekes out of you. It's very difficult for you. And some of you do the, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, you say it real quickly just to get it over with, thinking that now, now we're fine, right? I don't have to do anything. I don't have to change anything. I'm sorry. So I don't know where you're at on the spectrum of that, but all of us have to grow somewhere in this area. Area. The problem with not confessing and not repenting is that we get into habits that we justify. We are amazing justifiers of behavior as humans. We can justify just about anything. I'd, at least I don't do it the way they do it. Or, or we position ourselves uh, you know, compared to other people. And, and we just get numb to areas because we, we get into these habits of things that are not healthy, not protective. We justify them in some way because of other people's behavior or whatever it is. And it keeps us paralyzed. The point of fighting for and pushing towards confession and repentance is that sin kills and steals and destroys. It harms us. It causes us to be less human. And so it, it's, in it, it's, it's making sure that we stay in this position where we are consistently growing and, and uh, our life is, is moving forward. Augustine said it this way, the confession of evil works is the first beginning of good works. The first beatitude in Matthew 5, 3 gives us a starting place for confession and repentance. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Another way of saying that is, Blessed is the man who has realized his own utter helplessness and has put his whole trust in God. There he will find joy and peace today. In the AA program, the first step is I acknowledge the fact that I am powerless over this thing in my life. We have some things in our lives that we have to acknowledge we're powerless over. We want to make changes, but we struggle with it. But the second step is I recognize that God is all-powerful, and I choose to turn my life over to him. We have things we struggle with, and what we need to do is say, Father, I can't handle this on my own. I have white-knuckled it long enough. I need you to help me in this area. I need you to put me on the right path. If you don't know where to start, I would encourage you to get some paper, a spiral notebook, something like that, 
and spend some time quietly with the Lord and just think about the different areas of your life. Maybe it'd help to look at what are areas that I'm not seeing the fruit of the Spirit in? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. What are some of those areas? And allow the Lord to speak to you to really look at what are some things I need to repent of. I have a lot of health issues going on with uh, some of my extended family members. And one of the things that I'm finding in myself is the selfishness that comes out when I think, I want to do what I want to do today, not what they need me to do today. We all have those different areas in our lives. And it's, Lord, search me. Help me know how I need to change. We join in with David's prayer in Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me. And know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. It's the, it's the whole point. So during Lent here, as we continue on, we're just encouraging you to let the Lord search our hearts. And uh, know that he is good and that he wants only good for us. And that that's the point of this. We have a, we have a video, video that we would like you to watch. And this is a video that we usually use in marriage settings. Because it's talking specifically about how a wife will try to talk to her husband and then he swoops in and tries to fix her and how frustrated she can get. But I thought about this video because I thought about the things that we have in our lives that God could point out to us so easily. But we get so busy complaining or avoiding that oftentimes we don't hear his voice when he's trying to help us make some changes that are good for us. So when you look at this, consider it more as... The husband as God, though God does not get frustrated and irritated with you. Um, But look at it. No analogy is complete. But look at it through that perspective. It's just, there's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me. And I can just feel it. Like, literally feel it in my head. And it's relentless. And... I don't know if it's going to stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever going to stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there... Stop trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing... You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. See, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail out. See, you're not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just... Sometimes it's like... There's this achy... I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. That sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Come on, if you would just- Don't! Try to see things my way Do I have to keep on talking till I can go on? Okay. <laughs> kind of pull in for a second here. <laughs> so is it, are we just spending our time talking about that our sweaters are snagged, you know? Um, and we just want um, to be 
understood, but we aren't really open to real change in our lives. So I'm going to try to move a little more serious note here as we close. The, um, the point again is what is best, what is, what's, what's healthy for our lives, what causes us to be more a representative of him in the world and move his kingdom forward. And so as we close today, we're simply going, I'm just going to invite you into a prayer of confession. This particular prayer is, if you're following in Lent and if you follow with the Book of Common Prayer, you'll see this every day, following it in the, the uh, daily office. And um, traditionally, this prayer is generally prayed. It's recommended that we pray it from our knees. And so as we close here, I'm just going to encourage you, if you can, if you're concerned, if you get on your knees, you won't get back up. You can just sit there. That's fine. Uh, but for all of you that can, can kneel, let's just quiet ourselves for a moment here. Take a deep breath. And if you would join me in this for a moment. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. If we just stop there for a moment, sometimes when we pray this, particularly if we pray it every day, it's so easy to just make this a general thing. Lord, I'm sure I've failed, and please forgive me. But I want you to stop and just let him tap you for a moment. Maybe that thing that you've, that he's kind of touched on before, and you kind of just nudge it off or you justify it or rationalize it in some way. Lord, where is the fruit not really being seen in our life? Are we not really able to be loving? Or we've lost place of peace in a relationship? Or that ability to have self-control or to be gentle and kind? Lord, speak to us. Search us, God. We trust you in this moment. We trust that you are good that you identifying this is not to expose us, to, to harm us in any way, but it's so that you might come into those places and become our strength and infuse life into places that are dead or need new life. Speak to us, God. Now, if you'd join me as we continue. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways in the glory of your name. Amen. Amen. If you'd stand, if our servers would come. Thanks for listening to this message from Sanctuary Church. 
If you're in the Tulsa area, we invite you to attend one of our weekend services on Sundays at 8.30 a.m., 10 a.m., or 11.30 a.m. If you would like more information about who we are and what we're about, or to partner financially with what God is doing through Sanctuary, you can go to our website at SanctuaryTulsa.com. You can also download our mobile app from the App Store and Google Play. We hope you'll join us next week. Grace and peace.